You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome, everybody, to uh, another episode of the 602 Club. we got a great supplemental for you this weekend. I'm excited to be coming to you from Wild Space. Hopefully, the transmission is coming in loud and clear. Uh, we're beaming through Lothal, so hopefully you can pick us up. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just we got Star Wars Celebration coming up this week as we record, and I thought it would be fun to get together with a good Star Wars buddy and talk about some very... Uh, random things, things you might not expect us to actually cover, but we're going to do it. Uh, and and with me, to help me do that, is the one and only Mr. Scott Rifen. How are you doing, Scott? I'm terrific. Uh, the reason, and let's explain, the reason I'm the one and only is because if there were two of me, there would be big trouble. That's true. That's true. I think I think uh, universe-ending explosion <laughs> is actually what happens, so... Yeah, could be, could be. So let's not take that chance. <laughs> no, let's not. Let's not. Uh, well, we're going to cover um, the Adventures in Wild Space books. Uh, we're going to cover the prologue and then book one and two. And and the reason we're doing that is, uh, and not doing more of them, is those are the ones that have come out so far in the U.S. digitally. Uh, it does look, I was looking today, that um, the third book and maybe some of the others will be coming out in April, on I think the 11th, I saw was the rumored uh, release date of the Nest, and uh, hopefully some of the others. So, uh, and I would I would like them to because I, I had a good time reading these. And uh, before we dive into that, just remember you can find all the shows on uh, Track FM here on iTunes at iTunes.com/slash/TrekFM. We're a featured provider there, and uh, you know as uh, we're talking about Star Wars specifically tonight, remember that the uh, Star Wars 602 Club Collection we're running a Special promo right now because uh, because of a snafu on iTunes. We lost all of our reviews and uh, had to reload. Yeah. So, yeah, no fun. But it gave us an opportunity to run a contest for everyone. If you write a star, if you give us a star rating and give us a review, because we need that review, we're uh, giving away two copies of Rogue One when it comes out. So, uh, make sure that uh, you get your review in and uh, we'll pick some name, a couple names out of hats and they'll be the lucky winners of a brand new copy of Rogue One on Blu-ray. So, uh, and it'll be one that comes with the DVD and the digital copy. So you'll have three different copies of that film. Uh, yeah, that's what we're doing. So go over there, do that. You can find us on Twitter at Trek FM, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Trek FM. And of course, we have our listeners only discussion group, the Babel Conference on Facebook. And the best way to get to that is just go to Facebook, type Babel into the search field. Or if you're on our website at Trek.fm, you can hit discussion on any of the show pages and that'll bring you to the group. And so... Uh, you know, Scott, this is a fun series and, and an interesting mm -hmm. series because it's, I think, the only series right now that actually started in the UK and then was released in the US. Yeah. In fact, I got so scared that I wasn't going to be able to get this. I'm, you know, a little bit of a Star Wars bibliophile, as, as many people know by now. Uh, and, and so I love the books. I love to get the books. And I watched this series come out little by little in England, little by little. And I kept going, where's ours? Where's ours? So finally, I gave up and started ordering them on Amazon, you know, used copies from the UK. 
So, and just about the time I got about two thirds of the series done, they said, oh yeah, by the way, we're putting them out in America, which is about the way things go for me. Yeah. Well, and it is, it was a, to me, it was kind of a strange marketing uh, system because, uh, and I don't know if maybe they, uh, they just thought, you know, let's just try it over here and see it works. But you know, when it's all canon and it all seems to matter these days with uh, Star Wars. It was strange that you would release it one place and not another place. Yeah. And there's nothing uniquely British about them as far as no. the flavor or no. what, what, what takes place in them. So I, I don't know why England was the first place to get these things, but, uh, but I am glad they made their way over here. Although I've got to tell you, I have to profess a little more fondness for the UK editions than the U S editions. They have, uh, I think, better covers mm-hmm. because the artwork on the cover actually matches the artwork in the book, whereas the U.S. artwork is, I mean, it's okay, um, but I, I don't think, you know, these are, let, let's be honest, these are middle grade kids books, yeah. and I feel like the U.K. covers actually would capture more kids' imaginations. Yeah. Yeah, they're a little more imaginative. They're a little more descriptive of what actually happens in the book. The uh, the U.S. covers are a little bit on the abstract side, actually. Yes, yes. And uh, and even the logo, the Adventures in Wild Space logo, I I prefer the British version of that to the U.S. version of it. And the books, well, and- honestly, they just they're they're a little softer paper, they're a little thicker book, and they're a little mm-hmm. easier to hold. Well, what's fun about those U.K. editions as well? Is that logo reminds me of, it, it's like kind of like a cross between a, a Clone Wars logo and, and mm-hmm. you know, like a Star Wars logo in general. And so it's kind of fun to have that be the logo yep. in this in-between time. Like, I, I just speaking as a ridiculous Star Wars geeks as we all are <laughs> as we're listening to this, you know, we're getting into logos because that means something to us as Star Wars fans. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I I absolutely agree with you um, that those are I think the better copies. The the series is right now written by uh, two different authors. Uh, you have Caven Scott, mm-hmm. and uh, the other op- author is Tom Huddleston. So don't it's not Tom Hiddleston, no. ladies. You don't get excited. <laughs> uh, he's not writing Star Wars books not uh, yet. <laughs> yeah, not yet. I mean, who knows? Um, but the series really is set up this way. It's the end of the Clone Wars, the destruction of the Jedi, and Palpatine has taken over the galaxy unopposed. But far away from that, in you know these unknown regions of wild space, uh, Milo and Lena Graf and their parents are explorers. Uh, they're it's a little Star Trekish in some ways, like they're they're mappers. And so they map worlds and uh, planet systems and I'm sure hyperspace lanes uh, to further their exploration of the galaxy here in Star Wars. And it's a fun way to start this story. Uh, and I think this setup, because, you know, you're in this in-between time between the two films, but setting it this way allows you to do a lot of things where you can play around in the universe but you're not necessarily worried about messing up other people's sandboxes because you're on the outer rim or wild space. I mean, you're beyond the outer rim. And it's interesting too, to note that the kids at the beginning of this, and it's a very unstar Wars like thing, or at least something we're not used to at the beginning of the stories, the kids are fans of the empire. They support the empire. They believe they've been raised with the notion that the empire does good things for good people and of course that slowly crumbles over the course of the setup to the series 
but uh, you, you don't see that perspective portrayed a lot, though you have to think at some point that was a prevalent thought amongst people in the galaxy. Yeah, one of the things that I really like about uh, the way this the series starts, and, and there's a prelude book, it's called The Escape, and it opens up the series. And it's funny because, as we were talking about before the show, you can't find that one in paperback <laughs> in the U.S., which is kind of strange mm-hmm. because it's really important. I mean, you can get it digitally, which is great, because it actually sets up the entire story. But you're absolutely right. One of the things that was so interesting about this was seeing the perspective that I think the only place we've really seen it otherwise is in Lost Stars, mm-hmm. where the kids are you know, fans of the Empire because they think it's going to be a good thing. In fact, Milo has a conversation with his dad and and it's like a kind of like a little flashback scene of them talking about the empire and he him saying he thinks it's going to be good for them it's going to be good for business you know uh they're going to they're going to want to come out and explore and then they're going to want you know what we got so you know it's a it's a very interesting perspective to get to see people who would be excited for and be willing to work with the empire and i guess i guess now that i'm thinking about it scott uh, catalyst has a little bit of that yes yeah it does have a little bit of that but at the same time you kind of know where catalyst is going to go with it and this one i wasn't really sure at first because they just did seem so bent on uh, supporting the empire mm-hmm. but of course they're given they're given your standard requisite ugly imperial villain to deal with and uh that changes everything for them right no exactly it you know they're on this kind of swamp world. Their their parents are um, doing their work cartography wise. Uh, it, it's also interesting that her parents, especially her dad, uh, has been teaching her little brother. The little brother, their Lobro, uh, as her his his older sister likes to call him, uh, to you know be somebody who enjoys biology and understanding uh the 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 universe and and so again it it reminds it Scott did you ever watch Star Trek Voyager? Yes, early on okay. I did. Yes. Uh when 7 of 9 came on, she uh, her parents had been explorers that were studying the Borg and they were out there by mm. themselves on their own ship and that's kind of what this felt like a little bit to me. You know, they're out there on the edge doing their thing with their kids and like kind of raising them away from everything. Uh, but they're smart kids and they, they're learning a lot and, uh, you know, they're, they're not encumbered by anything else really in the universe. I mean, they're just out there to, to explore. And again, it felt kind of Star Trekky, but not in a bad way. Like it, it was kind no. of neat to see, uh, a Star Wars story. I felt like start in a way that people were enjoying the galaxy they were in. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't happen a lot in Star Wars. No, no. And again, uh, people were content with their status in life at the beginning of this thing as well, uh, before it all came crashing down. Uh, one of the other interesting things I think is that uh, you have a the the parents have certain roles, and those roles seem to be passed down to the children. Whereas, as you say, Milo's the the uh, the biologist. He wants to be out there in the swamp, digging around, looking for species. Uh, and his sister is Alina is very much a mechanic. She's very much the one who can fix the ship. She's very much the one who can, uh, you know, rebuild an engine if she needs to. She's the one who who can help diagnose the problems of the hyperdrive if necessary. Uh, and so they both got their distinct sets of personalities and skill sets, and they're very close to each other in age. They're only, as I understand, a year apart. 
uh, from each other. So it does give a really good dynamic, him being the little brother, a little more mischievous, a uh, little more, you know, she's got to watch out for him and look out for him a little more. Uh, really good dynamic amongst these these two characters. Yeah, no, I think it's, you know, for a, a children's book, you know, I don't really feel like the story writes down to anyone, you know, so as an adult reading it, I, obviously it's a quick story and there's not a ton of depth to it, but I didn't feel like it, I don't know, it just didn't feel like um, dumbed down at all. No. Big time. And 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 I feel like there's there's been a need for this kind of literature in Star Wars as again as you know I've mentioned earlier. I I buy lots and lots and lots of Star Wars books and there seems like there's been a little I mean there's been a lot of talk since New Canon started about, you know, like Lost Stars as you mentioned earlier where where they've decided to go into that teen area of of novel and uh you know there've been the the junior novels but these are these are even younger. And it, it is an area where I, I think, you know, elementary school kids could really take a bite out of this and be proud that they finished a book like this. You know, I, I remember being in fifth grade and getting Don Glute's adaptation of The Empire Strikes Back and working my way through that and really feeling like I'd accomplished something at the end of it, but it took a while. Um, I think kids a couple of years younger than that, third, fourth grade, um, I think those kids could get these things, absorb them, and really feel like they've achieved something and it really seems to serve them in that in that uh, age range and again that's kind of been ignored for a while to me no i think you're absolutely right and and i think it's what's fun about it too and and star wars does a much better job of this than say like a star trek where it introduces the kids to the material as young people you know and i think this is absolutely a great thing you know uh whether or not you the kid is allowed to be able to sit down and be able to read these themselves or whether it's something where it's, uh, you know, story time with the parents or, you know, uh, I think these, these are perfect for that. But they're also just fun, very quick reads, uh, I think, for adults. Uh, and what it felt like to me, all three of these, especially here, you know, we started off with this little prelude, The Escape, it actually felt like episodes of the animated shows, so, like, the arcs you'd get, uh, like, especially in the Clone Wars, where it'd be a four-part arc, and each, this felt like just each book is one of those parts, and because all the stories are very connected in that yes. way, and they're an adventure, and then you kind of hop to the next thing, and it's really successful in that way. Uh, I think it works perfectly. Yeah, there's a little bit of a cliffhanger at the end of every one that sets up the next book, which is great, because... I happen to have the next two that nice. haven't been released right here. So, <laughs> what I what I love is, uh, you know, that in in the escape, the the kids, um, little bro is is gotten in trouble because he's crashed his speeder, and it's because he's been chasing after animals, and his sister goes after him, and with their droid CR eight R, or they call him Cutter, and crater. or Crater, excuse me, and yeah. um. Which the droid himself was actually pretty funny too. Uh, yeah. It, yeah, great. He's got it, like a probe it, droid <laughs> flying body thing with an mm-hmm. astromech body, and then a the head of like a protocol droid, but kind of like a Huang co- protocol droid. So yeah, it's rarely it. In one arm, different arm on the other <laughs> it's side. Great. Yeah, he 
personality wise, he really it's funny because these books are a little older since they came out in the UK first. They, personality wise, he very much strikes me as a K2SO type, and yet yes, yes. there really was no K2SO when they wrote these books. Yeah, he has a great sarcastic edge to him, which is fantastic, uh, and that I really love. And I also like <laughs> I like how they're talking about how the, when they're going back home and like oh, after dad yells at us, of course. And I just, it struck me as <laughs> leave it to Beaver. When, mm-hmm. you remember that? When he'd be like, oh, dad'll holler at us and stuff. <laughs> like, Ward Cleaver never yelled at his children. <laughs> like, nope. I get the feeling like their parents never yell at them, but it's just something that they're afraid of. <laughs> and we'll know, we'll, we'll find out. Hopefully we'll find yeah, out in that's time. True. We'll hopefully find out because the, the whole beginning of this story is that the Empire lands on this planet and they want the information that the graphs have been collecting about wild space. And they've actually sent a, uh, a very interesting villain who really reminded me of another villain that we've seen in KOTOR, Malik, mm. Because he has mm. the metal chin. Yeah. And uh, I was like, hmm, very Malik of him. You know, you know, I was thinking Masters of the Universe and Trapjaw. Yeah, I was on, yeah, so. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's but it's very much in, in those two veins. And so, yeah, this Captain Corda has been sent by Vader to get the information, and he kidnaps the parents, and then blows thinks he blows up their ship and the kids. So this guy's really bad news. Exactly. <laughs> And uh, when he does obviously find out that he got neither the ship nor the kids, uh, he goes chasing after them. And there's some great chase scenes uh, involving a, a boat in one of them and a TIE fighter chasing mm-hmm. after the boat and uh, just uh, a lot of a lot of fun stuff. And I'll say, again, for parents who are listening going, is this for my kids? And you hear TIE fighters are chasing and all of that. Uh, the TIE fighter even blows up in one point, but they do make sure to let you know that the pilot didn't get killed when it blew up. He he survives and and continues to try to menace them so uh there's some superficial violence in this even though there's some you know court is a very nasty guy um but the violence is not excessive or over the top it, it reminds me very much of again what you would see in a rebels episode or in a mm. clone wars episode and probably not as dark as some of the dark episodes of the clone wars like Ubara no. or something like that so uh, it's it's definitely much more rebels style violence. Uh, yeah, and, and you know, you talk again. We were talking earlier about uh, you know second or third graders being able to handle this material, and I think I think a lot of them could. Some of them maybe not, um, as far as you know their their reading ability. But it it does harken back to me to when I you know I was six years old when Star Wars came out, the first film, and I remember how much I enjoyed it, and how into it I was, but how really I mean, when you look at it violence wise. I mean, what really is there? Guys in armor get shot. You never see the actual, you know, and you don't see any results of their being shot other than they fall down. Uh, even when the big lightsaber battle happens, nobody's actually ever hit because Kenobi disappears before he right. gets hit. So, uh, <laughs> it, uh, you know, the violence level to me is very reminiscent of that original Star Wars film where if if anybody is even close to, you know, you really see real, with the exception of, you know, Aunt Beru and Uncle Owen, that kind of thing, or the cantina scene. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's very, it's there because it's part of what they do, and of course it's part of the situations they're in, but when it rolls around, it 
it doesn't come across as as something that's that's a, a bad kind of violence for kids to have to endure. You know, it's not anything that's damaging to them. So again, I you know I would recommend kids mm-hmm. get this as kind of an entree yeah. to the universe. Well, and and you know it's interesting to watch the kids' journey because here, especially by the end of the first book, they are having this whole conversation as they're making their escape and uh, heading to Thune to look for their parents' partner so they can try and catch up and figure out what's going on and and hopefully find some safety. They have this wonderful little uh, conversation, and Milo says, uh, so it's the graph kids against the Empire, eh? And Lena <laughs> watched the coordinates scroll across the monitor, and it says, looks like it. And here I was thinking the Imperials were the good guys. And it's... it's a. Uh, what I like about what the story does and specifically kind of talking about it from the standpoint of like if I was a parent, you know, this is a great way of being able to talk about some larger things with your kids, you know, like yeah. that not everybody in power is always a good person, you know, and, and those kind of issues. And, and and I think, you know, one of the beauties of Star Wars is the way that it has those morals, meanings and messages that are kind of universal and, and parents can help impart to their kids and give them a way to talk about things like that. Uh, and I think this series really does it. And it, what, what was interesting to me here, Scott, is in the snare, uh, the second book, we find out as the kids travel to Thune and they're being uh, pursued by Captain Corda, we find out that Vader has specifically sent Corda to get this information from the graphs. Which led me to a question then about Empire's End and Aftermath and what we learned about Palpatine creating the contingency plan because he felt this dark presence beyond the galaxy. And his first step was in inter- uh, getting information about Wild Space and beyond. And we learned that part of the information that he got from Wild Space came from Thrawn. But I'm wondering if this is actually that first step in that plan that mm. he's using people like this to 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 get that information about you know places that haven't been explored yet, and then of course going beyond that. So uh, that could be a reach, but no, actually that sounds very it sounds very plausible, especially I mean considering it's the theme of it. And what's interesting is, and you, you don't see a lot of this to me in in a lot of just imperial era star wars is that the the uh, the graphs are out there doing this and then their plan is once they get everything mapped their plan is to sell that data right right you know that's that's what they're going to do and you don't see a lot of that in you know mid-empire star wars literature or or stories comics any of that where people are actually doing business and happily doing business and so that's their plan is to go gather this information sell it the empire suddenly once they amass a, a, a large amount of this information decides they have other plans for that information and selling it is not going to be item number one. But again, that could also to me speak to one of the themes of these stories is, you know, you don't have the freedom to pursue what you want to pursue. You don't have the freedom to pursue your career per se, unless it is directly in the service of the emperor. And that's how the Graf family finds out the hard way. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And it creates this, uh, this great story and a little side story. And especially, uh, you know, um, for kids who might be not old enough at this kind of p- 
point to see like a Rogue One or something like that. You know, this kind of sets them up for that story, though, because they see the corruptive influence of the Empire and the power that it has and that this absolute power is corrupting absolutely. And, you know, Korda even says, I could do whatever I want, you know, because I'm the Empire, you know, and... Yeah, the kids are are learning this, and of course, he's not afraid to say that kind of thing to them because there's no worry for him. And I, I really, I, I think that that's um a really fun thing to see. And even for me, as an adult Star Wars fan, it's it's fun to have that experience of watching the galaxy go from a place that a lot of it celebrated the Empire coming, look how Liberty dies to thunderous applause. But then people realizing what had actually taken place because then they begin to experience the oppression of the Empire. And I think that's what we're getting in this story. And that and that's actually pretty cool to get that in a kid's book. Yeah. Well, yeah but, you know, also heretofore in Star Wars, during the Imperial era, when we've seen people who are business people, we'll say, people who are operating to go out and make a little money doing what they do, Generally, they're con men, they're smugglers, they're pirates, they're they're not on the up and up. And that's kind of what we always think of with somebody who's got a, you know, I don't want to say a profit motive in mind, but obviously, again, the, the plan of the Graff family was to sell this He's data. no good and, to me, did. <laughs> yeah. You see the bounty hunters, you see the underworld, that's who actually goes and engages in business. But at some point, obviously, that wasn't the case in the Empire, or these folks wouldn't have been out there doing what they were doing. Uh, and it seems like maybe this is coming at a point where, uh, the Empire is starting to crack down on people's independent business operations and that kind of thing and making it so that the only economy really is the underworld economy. What's great here, too, and I have to say, I think that Cave and Scott actually really got the Vader dialogue because there's just a little bit of dialogue there. But it's yeah. it's short, crisp, and to the point. Uh, and he's Corda uh, answers the, the, the call from Vader, and Vader's like, you can tell me that you have those maps. And he's like, um, well, we'll soon have them. Uh, we're all fine here, uh, basically. And then he he's talking about how, uh, but the children, and then Vader says, children. Yeah, children. You're Wait, being what? evaded children? by children. <laughs> like, it's just, oh, it's a great conversation. <laughs> oh, man, I love it. I love it. Yep, Absolutely. It, what's what's fun too? So again, we were talking about how these look, these books are connected. You know, they on in the snare, they go to meet uh, their parents' partner, Dill Pexton, who is a Soliston, and Soliston has sold them out, basically the same way that Lando sold out, you know, Han and Leia, and exactly City. the same way, yeah, yeah and. Uh, because he's being threatened, and I mean, you know, it, you can understand in some ways. So the kids have to do everything they can to get away. And like you said, there's a great chase scene on a boat and with TIE fighters, and, and they finally get off this awful planet. Like, it's an interesting planet, too. I, I It's it's one with... Uh, it, it sounded like a whole planet that's like Venice. Yeah, yeah. Which was kind of cool. Like, very cool thought that uh, you had a whole planet kind of like Venice. Um, And they get away... And they're trying to figure out where to go next, and they hear a what they think is a rebel transmission. Yep. And they're like, oh, so if somebody's like 
against the empire. Maybe they can help us. And then the nest leads us to where they go to the, they, they trace that rebel transmission to a planet and they land and it's definitely not what they expected. <laughs> no, not in the slightest. And their hyperdrive breaks on the way over there, which, you know, has anybody developed a, a reliable hyperdrive at this point in the star Wars galaxy? You know, um, <laughs> they tend to go out a lot. They do, they do. Although I do have to say, these kids have kind of been through the loop. One of the, one of the fun things is that each of the books has pictures in it, and mm. uh, which is really cool because you know a lot of times in Star Wars books. And look, I'm a huge fan, but I'm not one of those people who could tell you what the the name and number of all these different Star Wars ships or guns or even aliens is. So what's great about these books is they have pictures in there to give you a reference of what the kids look like, what the ships look like, that kind of stuff. And the fun thing is, is their ship, it kind of looks a little bit like an Imperial Tidarium class ship, yep. but it doesn't have the triangular top to it, and the wings nope. go flat. They don't, they don't kind of do the diagonal downward look yeah and and it doesn't have the big fin on the top but also the yeah. wings are armed yes yes there there's weaponry on the arms as well which are the wings as well which uh, uh gives them some opportunity sometimes for self-defense yes I, and i think they call them like a um mining laser so that i mean it's 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 meant for other things other than defense but it of course still gets used that way so yes yes um, but uh i I do I do think this is really interesting is so in the first book their parents as they're getting stolen send encrypted data to crater and this data allows him to be able to have all of these false identities for the ship that they have which is kind of great but the the most interesting part, and this is one of the fun things that's running through the series so far in these first three books that we're talking about, what did he give them that's so important? And obviously he kind of has, in a lot of ways, he's the R2 where he's carrying the data, and but they don't even know what it is no. yet. And part of this is that they, they basically send a very low-level encrypted signal to him and it's and because it is so low level and he is so advanced it's actually taking him extra time to process it so as the book the first book goes on he's only got a fraction of it processed fortunately it was enough to get them the fake, fake identity for their ship but obviously this is going to become a thing as as the books progress is that he's continually discovering things that were sent to him in this in this data download and uh, he's having to process more and more and more of it. It's kind of like how in Legends, R2 started learning more and more and more about Padme and those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Good point. Um, but so what's fun about this is that it combines some interesting aspects of like the Clone Wars, uh, where the planet that Ahsoka was stolen to and the Transocians are hunting people and different things they land on a planet that's owned by a hunter like nobody else i mean we're in wild space there's nobody else out here and and this planet she has a bunch of things that she hunts and and uh, 
what's interesting is they end up in the midst of a hunt that they probably don't want to be a part of. And that's no. pretty much the whole story here because um, in, until the very end is really them basically finding out they should never have landed on this planet at all. <laughs> yeah, if they were tracking down the source of that transmission, it didn't quite work out for them. Uh, but the, the hunt very much reminds me, though, of the Rathtar chase in mm -hmm. The Force yeah. Awakens. Yeah. Very dangerous animals being hunted. The crew, remember uh, Solo says in The Force Awakens had a lot had a lot bigger crew. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the crew gets taken out by some of these animals as well as they uh, are on the planet's surface. And so um, this this hunter, she has some interesting and unique tools where she, she has, I guess, a helmet that amplifies her ability to smell and to see and to hear so that it aids her in hunting. But she's also someone who doesn't, and I, I, one of the things that flashed through my head, and maybe, maybe it will through yours, remember the big hullabaloo on the internet last year when people were going to Africa and they were going to these big game yes, yes. Uh, safaris where they were set up to go kill you know, a mm -hmm. lion or yes. whatever animal. Yep. And uh, this hunter says, you know, I, I, they have that. I don't like that. Mm -hmm. I want real hunting. I want to really track these animals down and really take them out, really best them. Yep. Whereas with these these set up places, and again, I think of the places in Africa where they do this, uh, they're really just setting them up to be killed by you, and that's it. It's it's not very sporting, obviously. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it takes no skill really to shoot an animal that's in an area which it can't get away from. There's no chase. There's no actual hunt. There's no skill involved. It's I mean, other than you knowing how to use a gun, uh, you know, so, uh, but that's, you know, hunting in and of itself is such a, I mean, and I know a lot of hunters. Um, mm -hmm. I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and a lot of my friends had, were big hunters, and they really enjoy it. There are also people who um, eat the meat of what they kill, so they're not just doing it for sport. Uh, so, but the whole process of being able to spend out time, time outdoors, of you know, tracking whatever they're, you know, hunting and all that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a, it's a skill, you know? So yeah, absolutely. That was really interesting and, and, and kind of a lot of fun to see, uh, in the star Wars universe, this whole idea. Of, and what was fun about this whole series so far is that it's kind of expanding what star Wars is, you know, like mm -hmm. that. And, and to me, that's exactly what clone wars did so well for the Star Wars universe. And and that's what George was always about, of, of being able to find a way to expand the Star Wars universe. If I can say anything about these books and praise, and I will, they feel like Clone Wars episodes because each book kind of has a distinct flavor to it, the way the Clone yeah. Wars would, uh, well, we're going to do a Godzilla arc, and then we're going to do a Noir arc, and then we're going to do, a, you know, they would... Yeah. This very much feels in that framework, and they are doing a very good job of creating the serial feel from the 30s with this story since, and kind of giving kids a, a, almost their own serials in that way. Yeah, and I think the pacing's interesting because I always, when I've gotten in the middle of these books and I've wondered how, you know, and I, and I though I have the physical copies, I did read them on the Kindle, and so you're looking at that percentage tracker go by as you're reading it, and you're going, how in the world are they going to get from here to where they need to be in the by the time this book is over? Because it's just flying by, and they always manage to not only do it, but to do it in a way that is exciting and action-packed and adventurous. Uh, I, I, I'm amazed at the pacing of these things. I really am. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, 
one of the fun parts about, and I've read a lot of tie-in fiction, uh, Star Wars and Star Trek, and uh, Star Trek does some ebooks as well that are mm-hmm. just specifically ebooks. And what's great about those is I think sometimes the limited page count helps the authors to come up with stories that are quick and to the point without a lot of extraneous material or feeling like they have to have extraneous material. Mm -hmm. And that happens so well in these books with these stories because each one is to the point about what this story is going to be about, and it's not necessarily worrying too much about the next story. But then here, like, say, in The Nest, by the very end, they drop a huge part of where you're going to go in the next book, and it's a huge connection for us. It is. You know, it's funny that you talk about the uh, the amount of time spent in these stories. I have a, a friend who is a, a Nebula award-winning author, and I was talking to him about a story I had written and that I was thinking about submitting for publication. And the first thing he said to me, not even about the content, not even about the style, not about the story, was, what's your word count? And when I told him, he's like, well, you know, that's, that's probably about 80,000 words too short for what they want. And I thought, well, but that's the story I told. <laughs> and so if it's the story I told, why would we, you know, puff it up with, with stuff that obviously doesn't belong there? And that is what happens a lot of the time with a lot of these books is there's sometimes, you know, I, I can remember, uh, you know, if I can name names, I think the Corellia trilogy plainly seemed to be uh, given life as one book and became three. And it showed because I think they still had one book's worth of plot and expanded it into three books worth of words. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, what's nice about these is that they, they don't seem to be really, they, they seem to be, let's get in here. Let's do what we've got to do. Let's tell the story we've got to tell. And then let's get out and not worry about anything extra. And it would be refreshing to see more fiction, uh, more adult fiction be like that. Well, and I mean, gosh, specifically, uh, the Aftermath trilogy would have been helped with more focus like this uh, <laughs> specifically. So, no, but or, I, I... Or complete you know, sentences as they Well, and it's books. it's funny because th- th- we were saying the same thing. Uh, we just talked about uh, Iron Fist on a different supplemental here on the show, uh, and we were mentioning how that struggled with pacing in, in that series. So it even happens on TV and film. I mean, really, the... It, pacing is such a huge issue, and if you get that wrong, it can still be good, but it might not be as good. Well, to me, even Jessica Jones suffered from that. I mean, if, you're, if we're yeah, going to step yeah. off into the Netflix stuff, I think Jessica Jones was a, was a terrific series. I think most people agree, but right around episode 7 to about 11, it seemed like mm-hmm. they were really just marking Absolutely. time because they said, we've got to fill 13 episodes and not we've got to tell our story. Well, uh, And, and I, yeah. I, I think they'd be better off telling their story and then going, okay, look mm-hmm. how many episodes it fits into, yep. rather than saying we've got a 13-episode commitment, Absolutely. especially on something like Netflix, where yeah. you don't have to fill up 13 weeks of programming. Absolutely. Well, and, and what's great, and again, I think this series specifically here so far with what we've read, they do such a great job of knowing what their audience is they do such a great job of understanding uh, the story structure and how it needs to work, and they just tell a great story in that structure. And, you know, each one of these books, too, shuffles a little bit with page count. Some of them will be a little bit longer, some will be a little bit shorter. Um, but that's great because it means that they're they're just allowing the author to tell the story that they need to tell here yes. and give them the space to do that. I mean, there's probably... I'm sure there's some word count, you know, you need, but it it's just 
it's worked so far. And I think one of the fun things is, is that, you know, the, the nest really sets us up because we find out that these transmissions were only being rebroadcast from this planet that we were at. What, where they're really coming from, where the source of them is, is the fall. <laughs> and yep. you know when i saw that because i i'm I, honestly you know there's there's barely any write up for these books on wikipedia uh, there's not a lot of information out there so i i'm just went into these blind i thought I, I you know i saw them on ibooks one day i was like heck there's new star wars books got to read them it's all connected uh yep. you know they they suckered me just take my money and I had no idea that this would have any kind of connection maybe with the Rebels series. So now I can't wait to dive into uh, the rest of the series. Um, the rest of the series looks like this. So we just we talked about tonight the escape, the snare, and the nest. And the rest of the books are the steel. Which is actually going to be called the heist in America. Interesting. The heist, okay. Yeah. Uh, the dark, the cold, and then the rescue. And so, yeah, I, I I'm actually really excited to see where this goes next and and who we meet up with on Lothal. I mean, are we going to meet up with our rebels? I I don't know. So we've got uh, friends there, don't yeah, we? Yeah, we do have friends there. So this is this has been super fun, and I cannot believe that uh, what amounted to probably if you had actual page count and like an adult size font. Uh, was probably like 120 pages, 130 pages. We talked about it for 45 minutes. So, uh, I mean, <laughs> that's that's the kind of fun here. If you were going to throw, uh, for these first three, um, what, what would you rate them, Scott? Uh, I was thinking we could do an adult rating and then thinking in mind specifically for kids, where do you think you'd go? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. Now, what's our scale here? Um, hmm. Let's do, let's, let's do out of... 10 for both and like so if you're an okay. adult pudding what would you rate them and then if you're if you're thinking specifically as like what you would if you have kids what you would think they might I think, think I would I think I would give them an 8 for adults because one of the and one of the big reasons is because they're good Star Wars stories and they're quick so regardless of what you think about them I mean look I told you before we got started I got wrapped up in that George Lucas biography I fell behind in my reading of these and I got the three books we covered read in two days and it was not, you know, that wasn't burning it. That was still with me going out and running errands and doing everything I needed to do and just reading in my reading time. And I got the three books taken care of in two days. So it's a quick read for adults and it's a good star Wars story. I think you bump it up a notch for the kids because the kids are the main characters. They can identify with them. And I think you give it a nine for the kids. No, I think I'm actually right there with you. I think um, for me, it's, it's a uh, 7.5 for adults. And it's 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 nine for the kids, and and um you know for the adults, I th I would say the one plus here that's great is, is we were just talking about is that they're short. So you know yeah. what, if you have a commute and you just want to have something kind of fun and light to read, it's great. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know we may be surprised in where this leads us with these characters. Um, and you know, look, maybe they'll never have any impact, right? But. To me, it was fun to be in the Star Wars galaxy in a place where I didn't expect there to be any kind of connection with characters that I knew or, you know, anything like that. And they're slowly giving that to me. And so that surprise 
really got me going with this series. And now I just, I'm excited to actually continue it. And like you said, you know, you can sit down and read one of these stories in probably about 45 minutes at the most. Yeah. So it's not bad at all. And again, like I said, in, in reading it on the Kindle, you just watch those percentages just fly by and you're going, really? I'm there. That's it <laughs> that quickly. But it does happen. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, I'm uh, yeah, I'm excited to continue this. Uh, and um, as you're listening to this, we'll uh, be heading off to Star Wars Celebration, both Scott and I. So yes. try and find us. Uh, this is in if you're living listening to this in the future, doesn't matter. Uh, but uh, as of 2017, here, uh, make sure to look for us. And I'm really excited to to do that with everyone. And um, you know, uh. I want to say a huge thank you. Uh, we get to do these shows here on the 602 Club uh, because of our social producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson. Uh, they make it possible, and so does everybody else who supports us through Patreon. It's a huge network that we have here, and there's no way that we can do it on our own, and we really need your help. So we encourage you to go over there to patreon.com slash and check out the ways in which you can support the network and make sure that we come to you each and every week. Again, that's patreon.com slash trek fm i got one more thing for you i've been flipping through the heist here oh yeah i got two words for you visago oh and bridger oh oh that's a great there you go well (laughs) i i know i'm gonna be excited scott one to have you back here uh to talk uh more of this series because i think we need to we definitely need to follow up on it and see where the rest of it goes uh but course just to have you back in general uh if anybody's looking for you wants to talk about anything star wars related or anything else tell them all about what you do online and uh where they can hit you up uh, right now i'm hiding that's <laughs> i'm just hiding now uh obviously my star wars story uh brand new episode uh, as we record with dr amy h sturgis telling her star wars story uh one day we're gonna have matthew rushing's star wars story and um uh, if it is MyStarWarsStory.com, it's also on Twitter, at MyStarWarsStory. And you can find me at Rifen on Twitter uh, and Facebook. And, uh, and you know, if you want uh, some bare knuckles, brawling morning talk show stuff, uh, I, you can be found, I can be found weekdays 7 to 10 Eastern on 1440 WGIG, which is available all around the world on the iHeartRadio app. Awesome, which everybody should be checking out uh, if you want a good morning listen. I uh, want to thank you for coming on, Scott. It was super fun to do this. and oh, uh, all, Always. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you at Celebration. Now, uh, if you're looking for me, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at MRushing. Uh, you want to follow those places if you want some uh, fun Star Wars Celebration updates. Uh, it's my first time, so I'm going to be blogging about it and stuff, just kind of what my experience is like. Uh, so you can kind of live vicarious through me if you don't get to... So you can watch the live feed, and then you can get the, the daily blog about what that was like. Uh, you can also find me, uh, of course, here on the network, doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking about Deep Space Nine, uh, 602 Club, and Star Wars 602 Club Collection. All of those are on iTunes. You can find me on the Nerd Party Network talking about Star Wars with my good friend John Mills. And it's it's a blast every week. You know, if you like Star Wars, it's the perfect show for you. We're diving into every little bit of Star Wars we can. Um, we come up with some crazy topics sometimes, some serious ones, and then just some silly. You know, it's all over the place. And then the last but not least, talking about the Harry Potter series with Drea Kaufman on Owl Post, a Harry Potter podcast. And that, we walk through every single chapter of Harry Potter, one chapter at a time. 
So we're almost done with the first book, and uh, we're excited to be getting onto the second book soon. And I hope you'll check it out. It's the it's the perfect time to join. If you've never read the books, or if you've read them a million times, we're there for both types of fans. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, and may the force be with you. Yeah.